0: Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in to our brand spanking new podcast Moments. Before we get started I thought I'd give you a quick intro. I'm Luke, Luke Fisher, the CEO and one of the founders at Mo. At Mo we're a business that's determined to better understand work, what motivates people and how both businesses and people can get more from work both today and in the future. Moments, this podcast um, we're on a mission to really speak to some interesting people. There's a lot going on in the world of work at the moment in the world of HR. and We think by sharing the message of some interesting minds uh, about what's going on at individual levels and at team levels, uh, we can really help progress the world of work. So it might be people that uh, are HR leaders, uh, leading professors, people that run large teams or pioneers in the space uh, of employee experience. But we promise you one thing, we'll bring you new opinions and a scientific and factual view. So whether you're looking to give your team more meaning, engage your workforce, or just learn a little bit more about how you can contribute to making the world of work better, then this is the place that you need to be. So I ask you, encourage you to hit subscribe and sign up to the Mo community to get updates about both the podcast and the events that we'll be running with these interesting folk. Uh, you can find it at mo.work. So our first ever guest and our first ever podcast, uh, we've introduced Bruce Daisley. Bruce, for those of you that don't know, is currently on the number one spot on Sunday Times bestsellers list with his book, The Joy of Work. He's also leading uh, Twitter across Europe, Middle East and Africa and runs a podcast called Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. Uh, And he's been running that for a while now. It's probably one of my favourites. So if we can be just a fraction as good as this, uh, then I'll be immensely proud Uh, Together we aim to just share some interesting opinions about the future of work. Uh, We both have a fairly similar agenda about the fact that work can be made better. Um, So I hope you enjoy it and without any further ado, here's my chat with Bruce. I hope you enjoy. Have fun. Good afternoon. Uh, We're here today with Luke Fisher, co-founder at uh, Mo. That, and uh, with Bruce Daisley uh, to chat about work. Um, so we're going to start off with um, what makes you here, because I feel like I know you weirdly, and you probably hear this quite a bit because you're a podcast. Um, but what I didn't know is how and why you're why you got into all of this. So a bit of backstory to you, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, and the podcast and the book and all of those things, like understanding if that's all right, in Yeah, 30
1: seconds. <laughs> Do you separate your life into real jobs and and jobs before that? So for, <laughs> so, so so I separate myself into real jobs okay. which is sort of things I needed a CV for and then the things I did before that to get money. And so I worked in I worked in fast food restaurants, I worked in bars, I worked in hotels, I worked in uh, proper restaurants. I did loads of jobs there. And I observed even there that there were good places and bad places. There were places that just had a buzz to them. You wanted to go out with those people and socialize with them. And then there were places where you did your shift and you went. Yeah. And so I, was, I, was, I had a curiosity um, when I was sort of doing those, those sort of pocket money, yeah, not yeah. pocket money, but you know, when I was living with my mom and dad. Um, when I was doing those jobs, I had a curiosity with what made good places. And then my first job, uh, I, I worked as, I got my first job by doing a cartoon CV. And basically, um, you know, what I always say, I I quite often go and speak in schools, and what I often say to the kids in schools is that, look, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna want a job, and so you're gonna go to what? Google, and you're gonna search on Google, and you can search CV, and you're gonna click on the first link, and you're gonna fill in the template that's on the first link, and then you can send it off to someone, no surprise, your application is going to look like everyone else's, and I know that because that's what I did. All I wanted to do was work in a record company, and I used to send all these applications off and got no replies. And uh, and then one day, sort of terrified actually, I'd been out of work for a long time. Terrified, I, d- I drew this four-page cartoon CV of my life, and I used to be a big Beano comic reader as a kid, and, and I'm a very average cartoonist, but. Um, but anyway, I sent that off and I got this incredible response. I always say that that CV changed my life and I got an incredible response. I got this job at Capital Radio and the part of Capital Radio I was at, it was chaotic. So it was like this offshoot, it was across the road from the Hot Rocking Tower. It wasn't the main part. It was described as the 40 towers of media. So much went wrong there. And uh, <laughs> it was very much like that. It was in ad sales. I remember one day, there was a three-month test for the post office. A three-month test where they'd not been on... Uh, TV in the northwest, been on radio, and uh, and on the last day of the, the campaign, the 90th day of the campaign, the traffic manager, the, the guy who runs the ads from Liverpool, phoned up to ask where the ad was. So, you know, it was of media, it was chaotic. Um, but, there was just this incredible buzz about the place, and I've been fortunate to work in, probably slightly more famous, and slightly better resource places since. Yeah. But the, the mojo, the magic that that place had, the sort of the die for each other mentality that that place had often despite the bosses I want to say was remarkable and so for me like um, I was very fortunate I started working at Twitter seven years ago and um, and I uh, when I started working there I was really sort of um, I was determined to make a culture that I wanted to work in Um, and so like you know I set about doing those things and after a period of time I've been there seven years so you know in that in any company you'd have a couple of ups and a couple of downs. Twitter you have about 28 ups, 28 downs. But um, in that time we hit this point where things were really bad and I thought, well I thought you were building this culture that anyone wanted to be part of. I thought you were building this amazing environment. And so just marking my own homework, I just thought, you know, you need to practise what you preach here. Yeah. So I started trying to investigate and read more. And when you look into culture, You often get like a few entry-level bits, people talk about purpose, and it sort of seems so broad and nebulous. It can sort of mean anything you want. But, you know, if I want to improve the purpose of my company, what do I I specifically do? You know, you don't suddenly stand up and say, right, we're now going to have a purpose. It seems inauthentic. So I was interested in, what are the like 30 little baby steps that will make your work better? So that was it. So I I didn't really want to do a book. Do people read books? I don't know if people read books. So my idea was, this is a book for people who don't read books. And it's aimed at that troublemaker or the person who's sitting there going, this isn't working. And I just think, if I'm going to read one 12-page chapter here and it's going to give me four bits of science to prove to my boss how we could improve work, then that to me seems like sort of anarchist cookbook, it, it seems like a recipe guide for people who want to improve work.
0: Yeah, is it in cartoon?
1: You know what, no, it's not, although I, I, I there are certain things you return to all the time, and I, I, you know, I keep thinking, oh, I should make some cartoon videos of these, yeah. you know, like things that just stand out. I I think my only advantage you know, that I've got in life, uh, you know, I, I don't, especially, I'm, I'm definitely no more intelligent than anyone else, but my only advantage is my short attention span. I think my short attention span was ten years ahead of its time. You know, like everyone's got a short attention span yeah, now. But yeah. I had one, a really pronounced one a long time ago. And so when I turn up and watch a pre- when I used to work in that Forty Towers, um, people used to turn up and do presentations for us and I'd be sitting there as a member of the audience going, No one who's ever been in an audience yeah. would do a presentation like that. Because, you know, you write a presentation based on if you Certain people write a presentation thinking, and now people will hear my pronouncements and write them in their day book.
0: Yeah. If you've
1: ever been in an audience, you think, that's not how presentations work. Presentations are people pretending to be interested, thinking, can I look at my phone? Yeah. Will I get away with it, looking at my phone? As soon as you know that that's the state that most people are in, you think, okay, I better make this interesting. Yeah. So, you know, like, sort of different. So I, I think my only advantage is I've got a very short attention span. So that's why I think things like cartoons or yeah. I always say to the kids I go and talk to in schools, you know, no one gets letters now. No yeah. one, you know, I bet you, like you go a whole week, the only letter you get is, is a bank statement or an invoice. Yeah. So what an opportunity. Yeah, Any kid who wants to land on the boss of Snapchat's desk or the boss of YouTube's yeah. desk, but you've got a clear line, you know, yeah, the, yeah. that carriageway on the motorway is completely empty. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Anyone
0: can c- get cut through. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're just adding gifts to the app actually. Yeah. And it's for that very reason. It's like they're just attention grabbing. That's right. right. Yeah. I saw your rats video in the <laughs> um, in the keynote that you did around rats laughing. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, And like yeah. the whole audience for a second is like, what am I, but you've re-grabbed over attention again, right? right. It's
1: <laughs> an interesting thing. Here's what I always say. In fact, I was chatting to a woman, and uh, and a woman said that you know, women know that. Th- this is sort of a woman who's written a book about women in the workplace, and she says women know that humour is meant to be funny, but they often find it difficult to access it. And I said, I'll be honest with you, I often start with a funny clip, and I work out the presentation based on the funny. clip <laughs> Does
0: thing. the mood go right. dead quiet, or does everybody roar with laughter? That's
1: right. Yeah. And like, people often come up to me and say, "You did a really funny presentation there." I guarantee you, if you dissected what I said, I said zero jokes. Yeah, yeah. I just showed a funny video at the start and a funny video halfway through. Yeah. People. Believe, yeah, co- right. cross pollinate that humour onto me. Yeah. I, I wasn't funny at all.
0: <laughs> my next question then is uh, from the podcast, um, which is you're tr- you're you're sharing a message, right? And, and and interviewing some amazing people. How did how did is that a real job or is that a another job or what what is that to you?
1: Yeah, it's sort of my weekend side hustle, really, right. and it consumes a lot of my time at the weekend. In fact at the end of last year when I was sort of sitting down and and, you know scolding myself and the the thing I was scolding myself about is I wish I'd watch more telly this year and I wish I'd watch more films I didn't I sort of I fill my evenings with that really and and getting that stuff done consumes a lot of my time so the thing there where it comes from is um I'm interested in evidence. I chatted to Adam Grant, who's probably like the lead, the world's number one There's person. There's a
0: picture of him on our wall. Right. As we're looking at it because he's, taught, he's, he's really well known. Yeah, he's, he's
1: like the absolutely. world's number one workplace expert. <laughs> and I was chatting to him, and he said he hopes, and it probably is optimism rather than uh, proof, but he hopes that we're entering an era of evidence rather than opinion. Yeah. And probably, I think Trump will go this year, and so probably that will mark the bookend of that era of sort of bombast and opinion, I hope. I'm ever optimistic, Um, but uh, you know, so so he said it all about evidence, and that was my feeling. I was like, how can you, how can you say, give me one bit of of what I found really fascinating. I remember being in the workplace, we've all been in this workplace, right, where you're not hitting your targets, and things are going really bad, and the company's share price is bad, and, uh, and someone said to me, this is quite a while ago, someone said to me, don't be seen laughing now. You know, when the bosses come through, we don't want people laughing at the desks. Oh, and you sometimes see it. i tell you where you see this. You see this uh, when you're watching football games yeah. and they cut to the bench and the team's 2-0 down and you see one of the players yeah. laugh and joke and you see that idiot guy in the pub yeah, yeah. who turns to someone and says, oh, every now, and they shouldn't be laughing. Completely wrong. Com- yes. Like the, the, it couldn't be more wrong. Yeah, the yeah. time when you reach into your resilience, the time when you're reaching into your creativity, is when you're laughing, it's when you sort of relaxed, and when you when you're motivated and energized, and then are the times when you can turn things around. But yeah. the idea that somehow you need to be sort of performatively earnest yeah. because things are going bad is just completely. It's anyway. That's where I love the evidence. Right, okay, if okay. you start looking at that, thinking. My instinct is, you know, when I'm laughing, I feel more bonded with the people I'm working with. Yeah. We sort of more resourceful in the ideas we come up with. Yeah. That was my instinct. Shared experience, and, right? It's yeah. Just, yeah. And I was like, that was my instinct, but I don't want to, uh, I, d- I don't want to believe that if it's not true. And so then I yeah. started looking into the science of it. And the science of laughter is just captivating and fascinating, but it's completely opposite to what these people who say, yeah, now's yeah. not the time for laughter. Yeah. You know, you should be laughing your way out of a recession. That's that's when the time for laughter. Yeah, is. yeah,
0: yeah. My nan always used to say to me actually, around like laughter's the cure for anything. Mm. And I, I genuinely believe, it, like if you're feeling low and you watch a funny film or something, you change, change. Absolutely. Change. Hashtag yes. nan wisdom. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Get <laughs> yeah, that one trending. <laughs> um, but I guess the, the the a link question to that is all this extra effort, like. What's the what's what's motive? Like, that's what I was... Because it's hard work, I imagine. Yeah. You you have amazing people, genuinely amazing yeah. people. I don't know how you do it. Um, but also, like, you come super well-informed around the topic, yeah. so you must read and obsess a lot yeah. about what you're going to talk to people about. So is, is it championing a message? Was it, like, is it... What, what? Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm a troublemaker, basically. And, like, uh, in that job at Capital, the reason why I love that job at Capital is that... Um, there used to be like the, the old Chief Executive Capital used to come every, we were like this horrible little offshoot, and uh, he used to come every sort of two months and see us, and I used to ask these sort of Jeremy Paxman-esque yeah. questions, these sort of, you know, almost bristling with aggression uh, questions, trying to sort of critique him, and that guy, guy called David Mansfield, you know, forever will be in like this hallowed zone in my mind, because <laughs> he used to love it he used right, to say like, he used to say where's that, where's that guy where's that trouble and like, I was 23 I was yeah, like nothing yeah. I was like first job and he'd say where's that guy you guys all ask me sycophantic questions where's that guy <laughs> he didn't know my name but he, like he, uh, he, he and like we met him since yeah yeah I've, I've had lunch with him and actually if I, you know he's asked me to do things for him and you know, if I saw him across the room I'd go over straight away <laughs> but um, but yeah, yeah he, and, and so I've always been a troublemaker so you know um, so like my feeling about work culture is often the good cultures I mentioned it before um, prevail despite the bosses rather than become the because the bosses yeah. so if, you, if you ever find yourself going into that that Boss finders who just that interest Yeah, you know, I just like I, I think bosses are often the people who try and take the credit for things. Right, okay. You know, like the people who and, yeah. and it's bosses of any yeah. level. Yeah. But if you ever find yourself going to that life sapping part of uh, of human um Territory, which is the W. H. Smith books business book section. Yeah. You're in an airport, you got a flight. You think I'll just have a quick look, yeah. and like these uh, these these life-sapping books, but they're all about how to be like these iconic leaders. Yeah. You're, you're Katniss in the Hunger Games. You're Frodo in the Hobbit, yeah, in, in Lord of the Rings. You know, you're going to save the whole business because you're the leader. You're the special one. And I, and I I'm convinced good cultures exist despite the bosses. They're often quite subversive. Yeah. It's like people who feel like You've got a shared interest. We're going to make this work. Yeah. He might take the credit for it, but we know we did it. Yeah. And so my feeling about work culture is that it's, it's not about the bosses changing things. Often the bosses are sort of myopically just yes men doing what their bosses have told them. So what can any of us do as like subversive troublemakers to make it better around here? Because I guess the fundamental thing is, if you look at like the evidence of it, people who have jobs are happier than people who don't have jobs. People, you know, people in jobs, their self-esteem's higher, their, um, their motivation's higher, you know, they live longer, They it, not having a job is the equivalent of smoking 15 extra cigarettes a day, yeah. it's like this incredible toll on your health, um, but quite often we're in our job thinking, oh, the way we're doing this is crazy, you know, yeah. we feel so um, disempowered, we feel so removed from any sort of, any any autonomy. And so my feeling is, if you could give those troublemakers a bit of evidence about either what they can do to edit their own job, or what they can do to improve their team, you know, it might be just their team of eight people, yeah. then you could make their lives better. I, I met this um, this really brilliant, inspiring woman called uh, Zeynep Tan, and she's created this thing called The Good Job Strategy, yeah. and it's retail jobs. It's, I chatted to her on my podcast, and, and um, and it's probably one of my favourite episodes. Her discovery was, and she didn't set out to find this. Her discovery was supermarket chains and retail stores that give um, better pay and have better culture are twice as profitable as the ones who don't. So we hear all these horrible organisations like JD Sports, Zero's, Zero hours contracts, and yeah. we're, you know these obnoxious organisations led by monsters that are sort of creating horrible working environments that sadly is polluting a lot of people's lives and her discovery was here's the revelation treat people like humans they do a better job and you're more profitable yeah. so it's like this brilliant epiphany but she having discovered that she sort of documented what a good job looks like and she's on a mission she's like can I change 10 million lives Yeah. can I across America but can I improve 10 million people's lives by just showing facts to yeah. authority, yeah, and I thought, wow, what a what a noble mission that is, right? Yeah, yeah. Imagine across the whole of the Midwest, across the whole of sort of s- southern states, that you can improve people's jobs by just showing profit-seeking bosses yeah. that this is a way to make more profit. Yeah.
0: So, like, you know, that's that's an interesting thing for me. Do you think evidence is different to influence, though? Because knowing this space quite well, there seems to be. Most topics are pretty well written about yeah. culture, yeah. but the opinion seems, um, I guess, I what I tried to work out in this space, and this is part of, before, before this all started getting yeah. recorded, what we are talking about, is like, there feels like there's a lot of academic research. Yeah. One of our investors is a professor of, yeah. uh, of organisational psychology, and we talked a lot about like evidence and documentation of... Um, work and psychology versus the pace of innovation, and you've got loads of companies, HR tech companies, being really well funded that academia can't keep pace with because the process of getting something journaled and then getting something published and all of those things takes quite a lot of time. So, I guess in our world, as much advice to us as anyone else out there, like is this one of evidence that's supported from academia, or is it one of influence that we need more people to know? And believe in an opinion and follow us—a a kind of belief system. Like, is is the evidence to support the beliefs and the foundation of decision making, or what's it? What's it for? Um, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm fully
1: qualified to uh, answer the question. I mean, you know, the, the danger I think is when you've got opinion with no evidence for it. Yeah, yeah. And um, so when you've got—and probably the classic example of that is presenteeism—the idea that you know bosses will look out, and if people aren't at their desks, they they believe that they're not working and one of the things that I've been most interested in is how the working week has expanded and I think uh, I saw something which said that in the US if you're expected to stay connected to your phone your average working week is about 70 hours. Um, In the UK just the arrival of email on on mobile phones increased the the working day by two hours so you know whether the working week is like 50 or 70 hours you know it's more now than it's ever before and so That bit of evidence would be a pushback to a boss that says, "Where is everyone?" Yeah. Uh, But you know, you need you do need evidence and proof on that. There was a really interesting thing. An organisation, Best Buy, sort of retail store in the US, and they introduced this results only work environment, sort of freeing people. It was complete autonomy. didn't have to come to work at all. One guy spent three months following his favourite band around the US doing his job while he was following them. But the interesting thing is, it got abandoned after about 10 years by Best Buy. And they said it, while it suited individualistic working, uh, it was almost like you're a contractor really, yeah. suited individu- individualistic working, but it built no team sync, it built nothing that was more than the sum of the parts. So okay. it's a bit like you're just hiring a series of contractors Individual to do a short shortage yeah. But I guess the whole point of an organisation. Is that we we equal more than the sum of the parts, right? The reason why you're in teams, the reason yeah. why you sort of you're working in conjunction with each other. So I think that's really really interesting. So that boss saying, um, you know, I I don't want my workers to do this. I I'm just I, I give you another example when um, when Yahoo when Marissa Meyer took over at Yahoo because Yahoo had a work from home policy yeah. and uh, and Google her former employers didn't she abolished working from home. And she just said, Google don't do it, so I'm not doing it. And I, I chatted to a, an expert who, who looked at that, and he said, you know, the data on it is that people who work from home, especially coders, especially sort of developers, their quality of their code is lower quality code than the people who work together. And The, the reason why is because people who are co-located, if they're coders, they're engineers, they, they generally sort of communicate 38 times a week. Mm-hmm. People who are not co-located, Communicate eight times a week and he said you can directly track the impact on their code from that lower level of synchronization that lower level of sync data right so he said turning that into uh, data I suggest that the cost to Yahoo per week yeah. of remote working is around ten million dollars and so he said right okay so based on that analysis I would say they were right to abolish their working from home for engineers but they did it for the wrong reasons. That's fascinating to me because, you know, then what you might say, if you were someone who wants to enable working from home, you might say, okay, so what's the way to get more communication while allowing people to be remotely located? So so you're solving that problem. The problem, the the issue is, if you're not even highlighting and looking for the problem, then you, you allow a boss to come along with an opinion. Yeah. So, so I think you know, the more evidence you can bring to these things, the better. It, our objectives are all the same. Our obje- objectives in any company are to lead the company to greater su- success, and that's yeah. either greater usage or greater revenue. You know, all yeah. of us, our objectives yeah. are the same. Yeah. And the more we can bring a bit of data into that, then I think it helps us achieve it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. How, how much? So. Um, your full-time employer and others out there trying to achieve some of the things which are using technology to connect people ultimately, how how much do you think that that is being well replicated inside organisations? Because the evidence base I completely support, but there's also that sense of experiencing it, right, as a consumer. So out in your personal life, you use Twitter or you use Facebook or you use whatever, and you get that sense of connection. So you could live in the opposite side of the world to somebody, but you have that sense of connection. Because yep. of technology, um, but it feels like technology is not serving its purpose inside an organisation if communication is reduced and relationships therefore are breaking down and impacting productivity. Based on the data point you just said, like why why isn't it connecting? Why isn't yeah. why isn't it landing? Do you think at work?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think at the moment we're not saying no to enough stuff. It's my take on it, and so probably the biggest evidence of that is the, uh, the sort of the meeting explosion that's happened in the, yeah. in the, you guys are relatively fortunate because of your size here, but yeah. you know, I think when a, an organisation goes beyond hundred. absolutely, there's just a meeting explosion yeah. because yeah. people naturally believe that getting everyone, communicating their plan to everyone seems like a good idea. Yeah. So consequently, everyone over communicates a lot of things, yeah. but it has the, paradoxically, it has the effect that no one takes any of it in. Yeah. You get invited to an update on something you don't care about. Yeah. You sit on your phone. You don't pay any yeah, attention. Yeah, timely consumption of information, Ab- right? Well absolutely. Yeah. Um, and because we've not started, to, we, we've we've we should be saying no to more stuff. So yeah. you know, I've read that the average British person spends 16 hours a week in meetings, or the, the average, yeah. I think, American executive spends 23 hours. So whatever it is, two or three days in meetings every week, mm. and the consequence on that is it's just squeezing out other work. If yeah. you look at how ideas take place, so probably anyone who listens to this might recognise this. Any any ideas that take place, I suspect your last good ideas probably happened uh, in the shower or walking somewhere yeah. or you were just lying somewhere and just thinking of something. I chatted to someone who, who said her last three big ideas happened on planes because she couldn't
0: just update her phone. Yeah, that's right. When we did this uh, rebounding process, we um, went for a country walk for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just just for free headspace.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, because there's good evidence on both walking. Uh, walking is a source of divergent ideas. Yeah. So you know, if you're just trying to brainstorm stuff, walking's really good. If you're just trying to pin down exactly which one you're going to do, yeah. you're better sitting down and doing. Yeah, that. you need something to write yeah. the on yeah. or Yeah, so so walking's good for divergent. Uh, sitting down is good for convergent thinking. But yeah, that's right. So if you look at how ideas happen. Yeah, and look, it, it's worth us all saying to ourselves: When was the last time you had a good idea? And it generally isn't while you're listening to a podcast, cleaning yeah. the kitchen, or it's it's normally when you've got a bit of space. Yeah. So as soon as you know that, you go, okay, having three full days of meetings every week, yeah, probably might be at the enemy of me getting any new creative thinking done. Yeah. And as soon as you recognise that, you go, okay. I need to be more ruthless. We need to be more ruthless yeah. with what we do. I, I personally think we should half the amount of time we spend in. That should be the start point. Yeah. Half the amount of time in meetings. You know, these, one of the worst that's things. Yeah, one day for Yeah, one of the worst. Yeah, that's right. Our engineers have no meeting Thursday. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the things that I that fills me with immense dread and, and sadness is when people say, "So we've just got." You know, fifteen minutes left. No, yeah. we don't have fifteen minutes left. Yeah, yeah. We can go. We, we, can, of opportunity. yeah, we can
0: leave. Yeah, yeah, very true. It's so we have an ideas component to our platform. We post ideas, yeah. share it, thumbs up, and all that stuff. And if you look at the timings in which people generate ideas, it's fascinating insights in there. Oh, go on, tell me more. <coughs> so people can uh, post ideas or give them a thumbs up, thumbs down. So you kind of crowdsource the effect. And in hospitality retail businesses, the really interesting thing is you see there's a usage pattern around shifts. So we work with the NHS or we work with um, loads of other company types that have very shift patterns, hotels, for example. And you see that reflection points or moments, as we talk of, are um, when there's a kind of moment of rest. So someone finishes a shift and all of a sudden that's a reflection point. So for recognition and for ideas, it's really fascinating. But Yeah, oh, that's yeah exciting. Almost directly to shift timings changing. You know? Wow!
1: So they finish a the shift and then like
0: yeah, Even in at like two o'clock in the morning for the NHS. Or the time wow! Exchange. And what sort of people are the, what sort of jobs they do? <coughs> so this this is an NHS trust in Bath. Okay. So five and a half thousand people will um,
1: yeah. And yeah. that wouldn't be that they finished their shift and an idea that occurred occur from themselves No, hours. this could
0: just be. This is just a. The understanding is one of a moment of reflection. Right. So it's really interesting. Right. That's brilliant. But can I to my next question, is that loud? Um, there's two. One's a harder one, one's a nicer one. Let's go with a nicer one. Do the hard one first. Go with the hard one first, yeah, okay. Give something to look okay. forward okay. to. Okay, good, 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 good. Um, a lot of what I've read about you in prep for today is around um, this message of the science of work, um, that you've been really championing. And what I was trying to process in my head is, um, a lot of work is talking about being more human at work, and science leads to quite a rational brain, whereas human decision-making is often quite emotional, or emotive in the way in which we make decisions. I just wondered how this blend can exist between human relationships and the teams that operate below the boss that still achieve, versus this need for science, and how you see that blend being struck.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so let's think. So that is, uh, needing data is left brain, isn't it? So, um, so uh, look, my feeling is this. I mean, look, you know. It, it, so I've written this book, thirty ways to yep. improve work culture, but and, and so the first twelve are how to feel less exhausted yourself. And I think this, this sort of the pretty ubiquitous yep. experience of work right now is is exhaustion, and then this these eight ways to build sync in your team, and then ten ways to sort of build a sort of elevated burst yep. state. And, um, and so all I wanted was that all of those things were based on evidence, but a lot of them are about human connection. Yeah. Because, you know, really strongly, if you look at the best organisations, the best organisations generally have a combination of uh, something called, by, I think we chatted about before, psychological safety and positive effect. Yeah. Psychological safety is, is sort of, best summarised as the willingness to speak up to the boss. Yeah. You know, the, the willingness to, to say, the emperor's got no clothes on, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And a positive effect is just a positive mental attitude and, and sort of a bili- willingness to, to be open-minded. And you get really brilliant science on that. Yeah. If, one of the best things, the, the woman who pioneered that work, she went into shopping centres, and she uh, she had some people inter- interrupt people with a gift. Yeah. And people got the gift. And then later on, later as they were going around the shopping centre, they, someone would go up to those people who got a gift and say to them can I just ask you your opinions on the appliances you own at home so something that they own you, you're yeah, not controlling yeah. the people who got the gift were much kinder about the things they owned at home That's really interesting yeah, Ch- yeah. being in a positive state changes our attitude yeah. so if you're looking for team collaboration if you're looking to energise people around them then putting people a bit like your business right yeah. putting people in a state of Sort of enhanced happiness, sort of yeah. maybe sometimes unexpected rewards. Yeah, yeah. Demonstrated, it, there's really strong evidence. It demonstrates that they do a better job. Yeah. So right, so that's interesting. So so for for me, it's all about what are the foundations, the scientific foundations we can we can explore yeah. that will make work exist on a more human level. Okay. So I, I wouldn't see them in opposition with each other. Okay. I would sort of see them more the as that's right. That that's right. I mean, look, you know, the stuff in the book I'm most proud of is the stuff about human sync, yeah. um, and the stuff about laughing. Yeah, Bec- yeah. You know, like w- when you see the science of that, um, uh, the first person I shared the book with, and he said, "Look, you know, I was expecting to hate this," and he said, "Look, you know, <laughs> for me, it, he felt it was sort of countercultural because it was at odds with everything he'd been led to believe in his job till then." Yeah, but. It was so um, impactful in terms of the amount of evidence for it, it yeah, couldn't help yeah, but... Yeah, you can't deny yeah. right? it, So that's it. So I wouldn't see them as in opposition with each other. I think first yeah. and foremost, work is a social experience. It's something where... In fact, look, one of the challenges of modern work is that increasingly people, because they're overwhelmed by meetings, overwhelmed yeah. by emails, yeah. they're putting headphones on. Yeah. And it's not because they're bad people. They're it's because they're trying to get on with yeah, stuff. Yeah. People just want to get on with stuff. Yeah. And you know we need to take some of that stuff out, so they don't need to wear the headphones as much, yeah. so they feel like they can connect on a human level.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. So, so a question that is connected to that one, but also to your book, which is, who should this stuff be aimed at, because you're not a HR person, yeah. right, where this would often be bucketed to, is when you walk into many organisations and you ask who's the problem of employee engagement or culture to solve, people point at the HR department. Like, who is the book aimed at? If, if you were to say these are the, you know, the yeah. roles that I think should be reading this or these are the characteristics of the people that should care um, mm-hmm. and all of these discussions, like, why do you think it's, it's positioned to HR and yeah. what do you think it should sit?
1: Look, I mean, for me, um, it's not necessarily an HR book. Um, and so by that I mean you know it maybe HR teams are looking to try and mobilize to try to mobilize a group of people who are just you know they're yeah. not reacting to their initiatives then it's a book for that if, yeah. if you're trying to agitate for a change and try and try and improve the environment that you've got but people are sort of not turning up to your lunchtime sessions they're yeah. not they're not responding to your pulse surveys they're, they're not engaging with yeah. those things you know then finding a couple of Catalyzing people, a, a couple of sort of agitators who yeah. might be inspired to to provoke a change. Yeah, that's who the book's for for me. So I would say it's someone in their twenties or thirties who can see things are broken where they work. Yeah, but kind of loves the people or loves the idea of the people that they're working with being the best version of themselves. Yeah, you know. So it's it's like it, maybe they've worked somewhere else and they're like they know, you know. When, when they finally got Graham and Dawn laughing, yeah. actually they seem like they're good people, but this yeah. is proving hard work, and it's for people like that. How can you sort of, how can you quote something special when it's not necessarily there right now?
0: It was very well aligned to the inspiration for me starting the company. When I worked at wellpa I just had an exceptional time. They got divested from RBS and had to rebuild the organisation basically. And I probably got treated better than I should do, mm. almost. Um, and yeah, the experiences that stick out kind of make you think more people in the world deserve this opportunity, right? Yeah. It feels like the relationship with work for a lot of people is pretty broken. It feels like people are working for a means to an end rather yeah. than seeing it as a part of what they do.
1: a the really interesting I- idea of discretionary effort, right? That's what we're, yeah. we're getting at here. And the idea of discretionary effort is how much of the amount that you're capable of yeah. Do you need to do to keep your job yeah. and I think I sort of read somewhere you might know this better than me but I read somewhere that about 30% of what you're capable of yeah. will just about keep your job yeah. and everything over that so everything beyond that 30% is the discretionary effort so yeah. actually like of that 30% <laughs> yeah, it's it's, 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 it's uh, more than two times and so it, and we all recognise this firsthand. you know we've all been there when you've done a job and you sort of you're keeping on top of the emails, but you're not yeah. really kidding. Yeah. And then there's times where you know, you're know you whizzing between things, you're trying to work harder. Yeah. you're putting more effort in, yeah. you're thinking of better things. That discretionary effort is the magic. It's the, it's, yeah. it's the difference between those companies that just die and disappear and, yeah. and the, the ones that prevail. And all of this is a route to unlocking that discretionary effort. What's the way, exactly like your business, what's the way that you can inspire people to, to sort of do that superhero yeah. effort.
0: Yeah, yeah, perfect. Now the nicer one, which is um, you've had loads of really, really good people on the podcast. Um, who's been, uh, one, your favourite, and second, the most fascinating person that you've um, interviewed?
1: Yeah, the, the, probably the, my favourite was Zeynep Tan, the the one I spoke about before, who created Good Job Strategy. Um, I've talked about her, so I'll... Uh, maybe Sandy Pentland is another one so this is a professor from Massachusetts Institute of Technology um, and he pioneered this thing sort of like hacking around I think MIT has this where you put these badges around people's necks and you imagine sort of the badges that a lot of people bleep in and out of the office yeah. with um, and he thought I wonder if I put the equivalent of a mobile phone in there yeah. I wonder if I could track who's chatting to who contact? and where they're going and what's happening <laughs> and it and So, like, you know, just messing around. I I think a lot of experiments start as messing around. And he found that, wow, he he was building these heat maps. And when someone said, uh, someone said, can you identify which is the creative department, which is the uh, accounts department, which is the... He was able, from the heat maps, to say, I think that's the creative department. (coughs) I think that's, you know, and he was able to identify which was. So then he was like, okay, so... Right, so let's try and get into why that is the creative part, and what he found was creativity was fostered by face-to-face chat. So you know, so you know, for me that's really a revelation because then if you look at modern offices, yeah. are they optimised to increase face-to-face chat or are they optimised to, to have less face-to-face chat? And look, face-to-face chat's actually been disappearing. Yeah. So, so that was. I loved chatting to him and I only chatted to him because I'd chatted to the I'd gone to sp- speak to this guy Mark Durand from uh, Cambridge University who'd been talking about the boat race and through that discussion he said oh right you should, you should look into this guy so that's what I love it's sort of it's probably an unstructured process of learning you know yeah. it's like this sort of it's this uh, it's this learning inspired by just
0: it, sort of it, discovery yeah yeah Interesting. Very interesting. My um, last question, and this is normally one that I really hate, is around predictions. So, 10 years into the future and all of those things. I think it's the themes are interesting, but often really difficult to apply. So I wanted to ask you about, in 12 months' time, which still feels like a reasonable length of time at, at work, what do, you, what do you think some of the real changes that people will see are? And do you have a frame to help them, in terms of a scientific frame, to support any change that might happen
1: over the next 12 months? Look, I mean, 12 months is short enough that I I think um, we won't see enough change that'll be noticed, but I think my experience about most things is that um, work's gonna polarise and, and gonna fragment, and there's gonna be really good workplaces and really bad workplaces. I don't think zero hours contracts are going to disappear. Yeah. I don't think places that treat employees badly are going to disappear. But there are going to be uh, organisations that are more enlightened that are following a a more evidenced path to having better people. And no, look, you know you look at, look at that in uh, different ways. You might say that the bad organisations maybe weren't existing. Ten years, but will exist in the short term. And we see, don't we? We we, we go through each year. We see a couple of organisations disappear every year, and they're often iconic. Yeah, and you or know, you, the press. Yeah, and and you see, you know, HMV's gone, and everyone who looks and sees why HMV's gone can see why. You know, each successive year yeah, they were one yeah. step close to the grave, but yeah. there, there wasn't one year that they disappeared. And I think yeah. it's that it's um, you know enlightened organisations. Will there's going to be a choice? You know, I, I, it was really interesting that um, the woman I spoke about before, Zeynep Tan, she was approached by Walmart. And Walmart is the big—I think it's the second biggest employer in the world.
0: Really, really awesome.
1: Yeah, number one employer in the world is the NHS, and uh, uh, second biggest employer in the world. And um, and she she said they would approached her and said we realise we need to make our jobs better. And so, you know, like that process of gradually evolving to to them deciding. And it's a really hard thing for them to change because one of the things in the good jobs strategy is shift patterns have to be more considered. Well, if you're just thinking about your own needs, then you just send out the shifts on the Sunday night. If you want to have a good job strategy, you give people two months' notice of shifts. And allow them to swap on an app, yeah, yeah. you know, allow them to trade shifts with each other. It's self-policing, yeah. but it's a lot of work to get from there to there. Yeah. Um, so my feeling is we're gonna it'll be start of a a trend where good employers and good firms are um, are, are doing more of these enlightened things, and yeah. bad firms are just continuing their HMV style trajectory downwards. But yeah. we'll only notice them when they finally disappear over the horizon. Action point, yeah.
0: gone. Maybe just a, an extension to that last question then, which is um, the, if the period of change may be five years then, a scientific, a scientific or evidence-based approach would mean that you know that you're getting there. One of the, one of the challenges that I think exists is that employee engagement as a main measure for or an employee happiness index or similar the main measure of how employees feel at work um, mm. is somewhat of a KPI that lacks the kind of metrics base that you may understand in a digital technology mm. environment. Like how do you think people will better understand that they're realising the value of this effort going in sooner?
1: Yeah. Understand uh, that uh, yeah, absolutely. It's an immense challenge isn't it? And I think most people who run Pulse systems have a sense that it's helpful but it doesn't feel like it's the right answer Yeah, you know, it's giving them a data point but it just doesn't feel like it's capturing the nuance yeah. of what's really going on below the surface Do you it's know what a I mean?
0: structured frame to the question yeah. right? ultimately means that you're putting an answer into a box and it's kind of answering an yeah. against an index right? so yeah. it kind of feels like it's not a per- like if we had a conversation and we sat down in the pub and said how are you it would evolve, right? Yeah. It would be conversational, whereas the structure sometimes to a uh, fixed survey is quite hard. But I think the evidence base often appears to be convincing people, and convincing people over time that your strategy is working as you embark on this. What for Walmart might be a three to five year change program. Like how how do they get that? How do yeah. they can? Because it's not just the. Uh, original kind of convincing right you submit a business case you tell a great story if you're on a five-year change program you've got to keep people knowing that it's working how how after they've got enough evidence do you think people can better understand that the effect is actually happening
1: and and there's the you know, there's the million dollar question. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's an easy answer I can give you here.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair no, I, I think it's an industry problem actually. Mm. So I don't. I, if you had the answer, I'd be a really. Rare. <laughs> um, but I just wondered if there's anything that you've seen or any, um, even in your time at um, Twitter, like the things that you've done, how you've known that you've done. Them.
1: Yeah. I mean, look. You know, the, the
0: there is that feeling, right? There's that buzz when you walk into an office. There is that excitement and yeah. that feeling. Um, but it feels like for a lot of consumer products, you understand, right, that people have a better experience with your brand than not. Yeah. So I'm just trying to work out if you know or have seen that that evidence base carries over that point of making a decision.
1: As a single data point, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. people quitting is about the, as good as evidence as you get, yeah. isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, no, that's cool. Anything else you want to finish up? Mate? No, thank you so much for chatting to me. Though. Just thank you yeah. so much as well for your time. I really appreciate it. So that's the end of the podcast. I'm so happy we could get Bruce on for the very first one. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. As I said, you can subscribe to this podcast or sign up to the community at mo.work. If you have any thoughts or ideas um, that you'd like to hear, we're always looking for new things, new people to talk to, um, and maybe that's you listening here. Um, You've got some interesting things to share, and you have a view or opinion on how the world of work could be better. So feel free to uh, message us on the website or contact me direct at luke at mo.work, and uh, I look forward to hopefully speaking to you, and if not, hearing your feedback on the next few podcasts. Thanks ever so much.